0: Well, I want to invite you to turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 20 this morning. And if you are here for the first time visiting us today, or if it's been a while since you have been with us here at First Presbyterian Church, you should know that we are in the midst of a series of sermons through the Ten Commandments here at First Pres. And today we've arrived at the Ninth Commandment. It's important to remember as we approach the Ten Commandments that these are not ways of living that we live in in order to achieve God's favor in our life or in order to keep it. For those who have rested in Jesus Christ, who trust in Him, we trust in His works for us and not not in our own. And so because He's given us this amazing grace, we live in dependence upon Him. And as we live in dependence upon Him, our lives begin to take a certain shape. And that shape is outlined for us in the Ten Commandments. And so today we're going to discover one of those commandments. It's the Ninth Commandment, and we'll read it together in just a moment. But first of all, let's read the first two chapters of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And now if you skip down to verse 16, you will find the ninth commandment. And it says this, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Amen. And this is God's word to us this morning. Harold Camping is a name that probably most of you had never heard of until a few weeks ago. He was the guy, of course, who predicted the end of the world, the apocalypse. So that was supposed to have come last Saturday, May the 21st. It didn't, in case you were wondering. But to Mr. Camping's credit, he was not off by very many days in predicting the end of the world. Because the end of the world actually did happen this past week on Wednesday with the airing of the final episode of The Oprah Winfrey Show. That indeed was an apocalyptic event. And you can say what you will about Oprah, but one of her more redeeming aspects of her show was her book club. Many of you will remember that. She would regularly have an author come onto her show that she would interview throughout the course of her show. And immediately after that author came on the Oprah Winfrey show, that book would rise to the top of the New York Times bestseller list. Well, about seven or eight years ago, I suppose it is, Uh, She had an author on the show by the name of James Frey, who had recently written a book entitled A Million Little Pieces. And this book was about James Frey's uh, recovery... Uh, over alcohol and drug addiction and how he was able to cope uh, through his rehab process. It was intended to be an autobiography. And so she has James Frey on the show. And of course, like every other book that Oprah promoted, it spent several months at the top of the New York Times bestseller list. Well, a few years after that book was published, it came out that what was billed as an autobiography, which was billed as truth, really was not much more than a work of fiction. It was a fabricated story. And many people felt betrayed. They had read a work thinking that this was a person's true life story, and it came out to be just a pack of lies. In fact, the publisher offered refunds for anybody who bought the book. And so Oprah had this author back on her show and she confronted him about this, especially that she had lost face by promoting this book as something that it wasn't that it actually was not. And James Frey on that show said that the same demons that had originally turned him to drugs and alcohol were the demons that caused him to invent a story, sell it as truth, but really it was nothing more than a pack of lies. In other words, the devil made me do it. And then in the midst of that, the ninth commandment comes to us. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It's one of the top ten things that God brings to us, ways in which we are designed to live. And you have to ask yourself a little bit, why would this particular commandment be in the top ten uh, of all the commandments that God gives to us. And I think that you have to understand the particular context here. The, the context is a legal context. Bearing witness is a legal thing. And in that day and age, they did not have DNA evidence. They didn't have all of the different ways to actually bear witness to a particular crime. The way in which you bore witness to it was through your words, was by bringing two or three witnesses to a trial. And what those witnesses said had a remarkable impact upon your innocence or guilt, upon how you were found in that respect. False witnesses could literally mean that you would suffer capital punishment. It was a life and death issue. And so what God is saying here is that the truth matters. Bearing witness to the truth is something that matters in order for the community to flourish, in order for the church to flourish. Because when dishonesty and gossip, and slander, and falsehood are the things that characterize a church, or that characterize a society, then that church or society is going to self-destruct. It will absolutely fall to pieces. You know this in your marriage vows. If the marriage vows are violated, that marriage is bound to fall apart. That whole family is bound to fall apart. Business contracts that get violated cause huge problems and lead to all sorts of lawsuits. We know what it's like when the truth of the law is disregarded. It all falls into a million little pieces. I bet you if you were to go to the Edgewater Mall sometime this afternoon or just ask the average man on the street if they think that the Ninth Commandment is probably a pretty good idea, most people would say yes. They agree that it is probably wrong to bear false witness against your neighbor. It's wrong to lie. But there are, the culture in which we live is just so ingrained with lies. We're in a culture that can't even figure out what the meaning of is is. And if that's the case, we've just learned to expect that lies are all around us. They're everywhere everywhere. We expect that when we get the 0% credit card offer in the mail, that there's some catch behind it, that there's some way in which they're trying to deceive us to buy into this in order for them to make a whole bunch of money. When you turn on the no-spin zone, do you really believe that there's no spin? Really? Do you really believe it when your politicians stand before you and say that they're uniters and not dividers? We've just grown accustomed to hearing lies. In fact, we've grown so accustomed to it that in some respects we'd almost rather hear the lie than a truth in certain circumstances. Men, no doubt you've experienced this before. Your your wife has gone and she's purchased a new dress and she tries it on and she stands before you and she says, Does this dress make me look fat? There's only one right answer to that question. There's only one right way in which you can answer that question. It doesn't matter what the truth is. There's only one right answer. We would rather hear things that our itching ears want to hear more than the truth sometimes. The famous poet T.S. Eliot said that humankind cannot bear very much reality. That's true. There's only so much truth that our ears are very often willing to hear. Lies are self destructive. They're destructive to the, to the church and to the world. They distort the gospel. Lies distort the gospel. Martin Luther said that the chief violators of the ninth commandment were heretics, false prophets, and empty preachers. they are people who tell lies about God. And quite frankly, this is all around us. False teaching in the church. Is not something that is just a concern for ivory tower seminary professors who have nothing better to do with their time than to bicker about theology. It's something that practically impacts all of our lives. If you look at some of the very best sellers in Christian books, I promise you that very, very many of them are full of a pack of nonsense. One of the top sellers last year had a denial of the Trinity, a denial of the authority of Scripture. Uh, the acceptance of revelation beyond Scripture that was special and authoritative. One of the bestsellers right now in Christian literature espouses universalism, that when we all die, we all go to heaven, denying that we need to trust in Jesus Christ alone in this life to be able to stand before Him. It's all over the place. It's all over the place that false teaching comes to us. And it's a call to us as Christians to be people who are lovers of the truth who know his word, who dig into it base our lives upon it and live and breathe it so we're able to decide what is false and what is true. It's all over the place. Lies distort the gospel. Lies deceive us too, don't they? Lies are fundamentally deceptive. Lies tell us that we need this thing or that thing in order to be legitimate. We need this life, this car, this home, this spouse, these children, these things. We need all this stuff in order for our life to be worth living, in order to wake up in the morning. And it'll cause us to go to the very extremes in order to achieve those things. It'll cause us to break the eighth commandment and steal in order to get those things, and it will give expression to a heart that's broken the violation of the Tenth Commandment, our longing to covet. We covet things that the world tells us that we must have in order to be legitimate. And it's all a pack of lies that we so easily buy into. Lies seduce us. They are seductive. They tell us that freedom and pleasure and delight come by ultimately fulfilling our deepest lusts. But so often when we fulfill our lusts, we find ourselves enslaved even more and more robbed of joy and farther away from resting in Jesus Christ alone. Lies screw up our lives. There are a number of presumptions, and I mentioned these last week as we explored the Eighth Commandment, things that are assumed in these commandments and there are a couple in this one as well and one of the things that I think that the ninth commandment assumes is that our words carry with them enormous power our words are remarkably powerful that should really come as no surprise given that we are people created in the image of God who created all things out of nothing in the space of six days how? by the word of his power God's words are powerful. People created in His image ought to have powerful words as well. It's just the case. And you know what this is like. You know how it feels when someone comes to you and says, I love you. You betrayed me. I appreciate you. I admire your work. You're fired. Those are words that grab us right down to our very souls. And how we use our words, how we use our tongue, is remarkably important in espousing the truth. I think that James brings this to bear in our life in a remarkable way through a great illustration that he gives to us in James chapter 3. In James chapter 3, he reveals to us that our mouths, our tongues, are like the rudder of a very large ship. Comparative to the rest of the ship, the rudder is a rather insignificant piece, but it directs the entire course of the ship. Just imagine how different the world would be if the rudders of Christopher Columbus's ships would have led him to India instead of to the West Indies. It's a whole different world, and that's why God calls us to guard our mouths. James says also in his book that with our tongue We bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people made in the likeness of God. It's it's with our tongue that we come here and we sing fairest Lord Jesus. We sing these beautiful songs. We confess Jesus Christ as Lord, and with that very same tongue, within the same hour, we can curse someone made in His image. One of His beloved children. God tells us in His Word and assumes all over the place that our words carry with them enormous, enormous power. There's a second thing that I think is assumed in this commandment as well. And the assumption is this. It's that God is a lover of truth and justice. God loves the truth. We discovered that when we read our call to worship this morning. I, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth is and the life. Truth stems from him. He's he's the point of all truth. And so as we deviate from him, we find ourselves embracing a whole pack of lies. And we find this, we have found this to be increasingly true, not just in our culture, but even in the, the church so much over the course of the last several years in particular, that truth has become something that's remarkably relative. Because our culture has begun to tell us that truth is something that is manufactured, it's made up in individuals and cultures as we figure out ways to meet our needs and our purposes and get our wants and feelings met. It's something that we make up as we go along. And so there's truth for me and there's truth for you and they're both equally true and they can both coexist as long as your truth tolerates my truth. That's our ethos today. There's no universal truth at all about theology or about how we ought to live. But I would suggest to you, my friends, that that is wildly problematic. It's not only problematic for our theology, but it's problematic for the way we live our lives. It's, it espouses a whole culture that has no justice to it. Because if there is no universal transcendent truth defined by God who has authority over our lives... That all the authority structures that we have in our lives are arbitrary. There, there's no basis for human rights. There, there's no basis, the basis to respect the dignity of our fellow human beings. There's, there's no basis to oppose racism and abortion and, and murder and bullying at the local high school. There's no basis to reject that kind of thing. In fact, you'll notice over the course of the centuries that so many of the of the empires that completely rejected any recognition of God whatsoever are amongst the most oppressive. They tear people down. They violate the basic dignity of human beings. It's because they have no authority and no truth beyond their own manufactured truth. If truth, if there's no universal truth, if it's not transcended, if it doesn't stem from God alone then marriage and family and sexuality, all of that is a free-for-all. We may believe that that brings us freedom, but we've seen the effects that it has on families and on children for generations to come when we do our own thing in that regard. If there's no universal transcendent truth that comes from God alone, then all ethics is purely situational. Whatever the situation calls for to improve our quality of life in the moment is what is true and what we ought to do. And in a culture, it means that justice comes down to nothing more than a 50% plus one vote. Truth is something that's vital to who God is. He wants us to be people who are lovers of the truth who embrace that and live upon that as our lives. And that ought to come out in the way in which we live in relationship to our neighbor. Truth and justice, they're inextricably linked. The prophet Zechariah, this is what he said. He says, speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. My friends, if, if truth does not prevail, then injustice will if truth does not prevail, there will be no peace. And that's true not just in the world, but it's true in our marriages and in our families and in our business relationships, and it's true in the church as well. See, we, we know, there's something that we know about this that, that lies and untruth. It's wrong to espouse those things. It's wrong to utter those things from our lips and live in that way. But we do it anyway. We, we do it in ways that are, that are more acute than we're even aware of. But I wonder if you've ever asked yourself, I mean, what, why would you tell a lie? Why would you not live according to what is true and speak truth to the people in your life? I think probably the main reason is because we fear the consequences of it. We fear the consequences of bringing the truth to bear upon those in our lives. And so we deceive people. That we, we fail to protect our neighbor's reputation. And when we do that, what we're ultimately doing is we are exposing our idols. We're saying, I, I have to be approved. I, I can't live with the consequences of the truth. And so I have to cover up the truth and tell a lie in order for me to feel safe. It's exposing the insecurities and the fears that we have. And it's telling us the things that we have told ourselves that we must have to feel safe more than we need Jesus. That's what we're doing when we tell lies and when we gossip, and when we tear people down. We gossip and tear people down because we've told ourselves that in order for my life to be legitimate and worth living, I need this person's respect. I need this person's honor. I need this person's competence. And they didn't give me what I told myself that I deserve. And so I'm going to put them down. I'm going to let other people know how screwed up they are. See, what the ninth commandment fundamentally is, my friends, is a heart issue. All these commandments are like that. They all expose things within our hearts that are corrupt. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 24, He says this, He says, out of the out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you want to know what's going on inside a person's heart, just listen to their words. If you want to know what's going on in your heart, listen to your words and how you live in relationship with other people and how you speak about them. See, I, I think this is where the gospel comes in in our life. This is how we begin to change and be transformed. A lot of people think the gospel is the is the stuff that you need to know in order to get in the gate of, of heaven. It is that, but it's also the fuel that guides your whole entire life. Because the gospel is the very thing that frees up your insecurity. It frees you up from your insecurity because it tells you that your hope in all of life is not getting whatever it is that you're trying to cover up with the lie. See, when you can rest in what Jesus has done for you, that he has accomplished your salvation, that he has set you free, that he has called you his beloved child by his grace alone, then that's when you can feel completely safe. When you, when you realize and live your life day by day, moment by moment, with the thought in your, in your mind and in your heart that you are not under any condemnation, then it allows you to be honest. It allows you to be no longer defined by your fears and your insecurity. See, the reason why we lie is to atone for our own sin, isn't it? A, a lie is just a futile, hopeless attempt to atone for our own sin. And to gossip and tear people down and to slander people, that's, a, that's an attempt to cover up what it is that we lack. It's an attempt to say, yeah, I may not be perfect, but at least I'm not as screwed up as so-and-so is. See, these things are absolutely vital for us to get because when we can rest in, in Christ and in his gospel and in his grace to us and the fact that we don't stand under any threat of condemnation anymore and all we have is his grace, we get security, and that replaces our insecurity. We get confidence, and that replaces our fear. We get the truth, and that replaces our need to espouse lies. And it also increases our love for our neighbor. It increases our love for our wives, our husbands, our children, our parents, people in the church, people sitting next to you even right now. And when we understand that grace is all of ours, we use our words to heal rather than to destroy it causes us to move forward and and our lives begin to take on this Christ-like flavor. I want to just give you, as we get ready to close here in a moment, just a few ways forward in which I think that our, our lives will look like as we begin to rest more in the gospel and how it specifically applies to the ninth commandment here. I think one thing that's going to happen when grace starts to flavor your life and Jesus is front and center for you is that you'll begin to give your neighbor access to who they really are. Does that make sense? It means that you can be honest with them and and you can tell them what they really need to hear even though it may be hard for them to hear. It actually enables you to deal with conflict in your life in a a Christ-exalting way. Conflict's always going to be there but it allows you to actually deal with it rather than just sweeping it under the rug to the degree that there's so much stuff under the rug that it can't handle it anymore. And then the whole thing blows up. See, it allows you to give your neighbor access to who they really are. We tend to do the opposite so often. We tend to speak flattering words rather than the truth. See, if if gossip is saying something behind someone's back, that we would never say to their face, then flattery is saying something to their face that we would never say behind their back. Does that make sense? We build them up and then we would go behind their back and tear them down. It's a lie. It's not protecting our neighbor's good name. What we need to be is people who so entrust ourselves to Christ and rest so secure in Him that we can be honest with one another. We can tell the truth and we can hear the truth and we can take it. You know, one of the things that I'm so thankful for, um, and it's hard for me to be thankful for, but I've had to learn to be, is uh, just growing in my own vocation. And seeing this happen, uh, when I first started preaching, you all should be very thankful that you didn't hear those sermons. Let me tell you, because they were not that great. And Whether they're great now or not is a whole other issue, but they were very poor back then. And sometimes I would preach and I would want to walk out that back door and just keep going and just hope that no one would see me, at least for another week. Sometimes I would preach a dud of a sermon and think it was okay, but I would always ask my wife, And she was encouraging to me. She would always build me up and tell me the truth. But she would always be able to say, you know, maybe you shouldn't have said this or you should have said that. She was able to correct the sermon and help me to grow and help me to become better. See, if you can't take any critiquing from anybody else, if you can't hear the truth from anybody else, and you're saying, I'm all grown up, I don't need any help anymore, I've got it figured out. And her suggestions to me, her ability to speak the truth into my life, even though it was really painful and hard for me to hear at times, has been one of the things that's helped me to grow, not just in what I do for a living, but in just all of life. And we need to be people who can hear that. I fear that in many respects we've, we've lost the ability to be genuine, that, that all we can talk about with people is news and sports and weather and... the the latest recipe that we found and things of that nature, but we, we can't really be honest with one another at the level of our hearts because we're so sensitive we can't handle the truth and we've lost the ability to speak it into one another's life. See, our response to criticism is a great indicator of the amount of pride that we have in our life. Our response to the truth is a great indicator of the pride in our life. And so the point here, my friends, the challenge is that the gospel frees you to be honest with one another. But it also allows you to be able to hear the truth even when it's hard to hear. Because that hearing that truth is the very thing that's going to allow you to change and to grow and to flourish. Here's a second way in which I think grace is going to propel us to live with one another. It's going to allow us to speak honestly about ourselves and honestly about our experiences. If the first point was about giving our neighbor access to who they really are, this part means that you give your neighbor access to who you really are. You're honest about yourself. You don't embellish your virtues. and You speak honestly about who you actually are. And you live with a sense of integrity as well. That your Sunday person is the same as your Monday person. Who you are throughout the rest of the week is the same as the person that you claim to be on Sunday mornings. You give people access to who you really are and you speak honestly about your own experiences. And here's the third thing that I think Grace will do as well. I think it's going to drive us to be people who are very intentional about protecting the reputation of our neighbor. Protecting their good name. Avoiding things like gossip and slander. You know, a, a Christian is someone who's not all about seeking joy in the misfortune of other people. All of us know what that's like. People who really gotten under our skin, who we have an axe to grind with, and there's a sense in which we want revenge against them. We desire to see them fail. But that's not the way in which God has called us to live. And it's not the way in which he's called us to live, to go about slandering their name behind their back, tearing them down, dehumanizing them. My friends, you need to hear this. This is important. Gossip and slander will screw up a church more than just about any of the other violations of these commandments will. Gossip and slander will screw up a church more than an adultery will in a church. It'll screw it up more than anything because you fundamentally undercut the very identity of that person. You dehumanize that person in gossiping about them and tearing them down. You're not only breaking the ninth commandment, but you're breaking the commandment which which says you shall not murder. That's what you do in that. And it destroys churches and it destroys families. And in fact, it's an indicator of a heart that's just wildly broken. that, That... Either, as I mentioned before, does not know God as we ought to know Him, or doesn't know Him at all. You find it in Romans chapter one. A whole list of things comes out there. That it's said there, and Paul says that people will do certain things when they have just fundamentally rejected God. And some of the things that they will do is that they will be haters of God. They will murder. They will be foolish and they will gossip, and they will slander. It's an indicator of the fact, when that's characteristic of our lives, that we may not know God at all, even though it's a totally acceptable sin in our culture. It's acceptable to tear people down. We all do it. Friends, our words about our neighbors are to be words that are words of peace, words of healing, words of Redemption. And of course it's true that we have difficult relationships and we need to deal with those and talk about some of those challenging issues. But you know the difference between working through that and, and when your intent is just to tear someone down. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up. See, our words, as I mentioned, are so powerful that they will destroy a person Or they will build that person up. They will destroy a person or they will build a person up. And our words ought to be protecting and healing. Seeking the best interest of our neighbor. Speaking honestly about them and to them. And edifying them. Our words ought to reflect that we respect the image of God in them. Friends, let me tell you this. The biggest help for me in this particular area, because it's an issue in my life, no doubt it's an issue in yours. The the biggest help that I have in this is understanding that God would be perfectly justified in publicly ripping me up one side and down the other. He would be perfectly justified in doing so, but he doesn't do that to me. He doesn't do that to his children. His public testimony about me and about you if you rest in him is this. You are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. Maybe you're thinking he doesn't say that to us. That's what the father says to the son. He doesn't say that to us. Listen, if you rest in Jesus Christ, you have the same declarations given to you that have been given to him. God is well pleased with you because your righteousness isn't your own. It's Jesus' righteousness credited to, to you. And that's his testimony about you, even though he would be perfectly justified in tearing you up. He's brought you into union with himself. He deeply loves you, Christian. If you rest in him, there's nothing you can do to add or subtract to that love that he has for you. That ought to leave you feeling the most secure person in the world secure enough to not have to go about living with your neighbor and telling them lies covering up the truth deceiving them tearing down their character how are they going to know that we are christians my friends it's not by our gossip and slander it's not by our deceit It's not by embellishing our virtues. It's by our love. Our love for one another. Our love for the truth. Our love for being a community where the truth is flourishing and growing and alive and well. And so we love just as we have been loved. That's how the gospel changes you in this. Loved people are secure. And my prayer, my friends, is that First Presbyterian Church, that this place would be a place where we could be honest with one another and speak and hear that church for His glory and for our joy. Let's take a moment now to pray. Father, we thank You for this hard word, a word that exposes a sin that is the case in each one of our lives. We all fall short of your glory on this level and we are in deep need of your renewing grace. So my prayer is that we would entrust ourselves to you, that we would discover anew the deep, deep love of Jesus that's been poured out upon us and that our lives would take on a a grace-like flavor so that we would speak of and about and to one another from that posture, words that build up rather than tear down. We pray that you would make us a church where our yes means yes and our no means no, where honesty and integrity and truth are deeply loved by us, and we would love those things because first and foremost, we love you, and you're the author of truth. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.